Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR 161R31, Homeschooling, from the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 120, March the 25th, 1986. Tonight, we're going to continue our discussion with Samuel L. Blumenfeld, our Calcedon Fellow Staff Member, and Otto Scott is here with us tonight also. Our subject tonight will be homeschooling. Now, before you get started, Sam, I'd like to make a comment or two. I am an outsider to this field in that my acquaintance has been mainly through courtrooms. I have been involved in a number of homeschool cases. To me, the very interesting thing is that the homeschool children test out ahead of the Christian school uh, children who are ahead of the uh, public school children. So the gap between uh, the homeschool child and the public school child is a very, very great one. And it became quickly obvious to me why this was so before the trials and uh, during the trials and after I talked to the children, I talked to the parents. The thing that came through was this. The parent knows the child. And while a child can sometimes uh, hoodwink a teacher, it's pretty hard to do so with a mother. Now, occasionally a teacher will tell uh, an outstanding pupil as a mild rebuke when they're not doing too well. Now, you know you can do better than this. Well, the mother can say that with authority. I know you can do better than that, and you're going to do it. That's the attitude, so that in half a day, the home school teaches far more, far more effectively than any other school. The results are uh, dramatically uh, uh, superior. Yes, there's no doubt about that, Rush. As a matter of fact, you find that the homeschooling youngsters are, are usually very good conversationalists, and they, and, uh, they get along with adults so much better than do uh, public school children. Uh, they're able to converse with adults. Uh, they enjoy being with adults because they're with their parents and they're being schooled at home. Time, of course, is a factor, and you get much more done in much less time in the home school. And also the children there are doing their learning on their own a great deal of the time because uh, all children are learners, are self-learners. Every child teaches himself to speak his own language uh, from the, probably at the type, uh, from the time of birth. And so they are constantly uh, 
improving their auditory and verbal skills to a very high degree so that by the time they're six years old, they have achieved a, a speaking vocabulary of between 5,000 and 35,000 words, and they've done this all on their own. So they have this enormous learning energy. And what the home school does is simply let that energy uh, uh, move forward at, at the highest possible acceleration because no barriers are put in front of it. No bells are rung to stop the learning process. The children can devote as much time as they want to, uh, and they're not uh, interrupted, uh, and, and they're not made to do foolish, time-wasting things like recess and, and um, having to attend to all, all the kind of things that go on in schools. I've taught in schools, and I know what it's like when in the middle of a lesson the bell rings, and the, uh, the, 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 your entire train of thought is, is interrupted and stopped, and then the kids go outside and they play for a half hour. Then they come in, and they're totally uh, a different person mm -hmm. because they've been energized, and they're all over the place. Well, you don't go through that in a home school. In a home school, uh, children learn the way adults learn, you see. And that makes all the difference in the world. Isn't it also a tutorial system, a home school? Yes. It's a one-on-one, -on -one, which uh, has always been considered the province only of the highly favored, the best advantaged. Yes. Uh, because if you have to learn in a crowd, you're limited to the lowest or to the slowest in the crowd. And if it's one-on-one, -on -one, you can go at your own pace. Yes. Yes, as a matter of fact, as you know, uh, royalty, royalty they used tutors. The, the aristocrats always had tutors to uh, train their children, to educate their children. And when you do it at home, of course, uh, you're, you're more or less replicating that kind of a situation. You're really getting the, um, the most highly favored kind of education it's possible to get. Yes. Yes, Otto. Uh, You've uh, stated it very clearly. And Sam, you said something earlier, too. Uh, let me bring these things together in terms of something I've seen, not original with me, mm -hmm. but it's been brought out in some of these uh, cases. One of the problems in our public schools today, among many others, is the fact that teaching has gone from the teacher to the students. In other words, peer pressure prevails. It becomes an environment in which it's the mob that governs. Okay. The other students determine the attitudes, the perspective of the child. Peer pressure. So that we have what uh, very early in the 50s was called uh, the group-directed child. But you said uh, so very uh, aptly that the homeschool child is oriented to adults. And it's from the adults that the child is going to learn. And the psychologists who've uh, dealt with the homeschoolers have found that the homeschool child is very quickly prepared for life in a world of maturity, not a perpetual childhood. 
That's right. That's right. And and that's something you do notice that the the child is is so much at ease with adults. And of course, you know the the emphasis put in public schools on a peer uh, a group activity is really uh, the attempt to socialize the youngster because now the the aim of the public school is not really to educate. It's yeah. not really to elevate, uh, uh, develop the intellect. It's to socialize the child, and they want that peer uh, interaction. They promote and encourage peer interaction, which of course leads to all kinds of horrible things. It leads to uh, 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 influences that may be very unhealthy for the child. For example, one of the reasons why you have the terrible drug problems in schools and the sex problems is because of dr of, of peer pressure, tremendous peer yeah. pressure. Well, th this is why I think it's so important that Otto Scott is a part of this, because Otto is less a product of the public schools and more a product of home education and self-education than any of us. Well, yes. I also recall one of the things that I detested in school, and there wasn't a boy in the world that hated school as much as I did. Public school. Public school. Mm -hmm. Was the <laughs> fact that they had different teachers for different subjects, which meant that it was, wasn't possible to establish any kind of a relationship with a teacher in an ongoing way. Uh, you went, you went from the hands of one teacher who might be fairly sympathetic to a teacher who was unsympathetic and then somebody who was apathetic. <laughs> and I recall I did have a tutor uh, at one time who had graduated from Cambridge in England and he was abrasive, he was insulting, he called me a stupid little boy and he was the best teacher I've ever had. <laughs> he knew exactly what he was dealing with. He he wasn't uh, in the least bit um, deferential, or was he looking at a syllabus? He beat me into shape, <laughs> and I detested him, loathed him. I've never liked anybody from Cambridge University since, but I look back at him as a wonderful tutor. Yeah, and I was lucky to have the experience. Yeah. You spoke of teachers, let's see, as sympathetic, apathetic, and what else? Oh, I've forgotten. Antagonistic, whatever. Uh, you left out pathetic. Yeah, <laughs> pathetic, <laughs> right. Which uh, fits some I've known. Well, my impression is that they have no liberty, yeah. that they're tied to the syllabus. Mm-hmm. Yes, but uh, but also the the important thing with the the child and the and the home school is the parent child relationship. I think that something happens there that the the child does not get when the child is sent to school. For example, when your parent is the teacher, you develop a a, a heightened respect for that parent. And there's one thing you notice in all homeschooling children: a tremendous admiration, love, and respect for their parents. You get none of this business of, the, oh, well, you don't know anything. My teacher knows more than you do. Or we're doing in school something you don't know about, bringing homework to the parent and the parents saying, well, I don't, can't figure this out, that kind of thing. The parents actually learn more than the children 
I'm sure they do. And this is the interesting part of the process, Rush, is that the, we're, we're creating a superior group of parents in America because these are parents who are not only learning to teach, but they have to learn an awful lot before they can teach. And I've even had uh, homeschooling parents who asked me, for example, how to improve their children's spelling, and I suggested that they teach the child Latin. And they'll, mm -hmm. then they'll answer, well, they don't know Latin. I'd say, well, why don't you learn Latin? <laughs> you know, the two of you can learn it together. Those are the possibilities. There are endless possibilities with the homeschool. Another thing about the homeschool is that it doesn't begin at 9 and end at 3. It's an ongoing process. You, it keeps going around the dinner table. Uh, it, it keeps uh, it, it functions on vacations. <clears throat> I know of a homeschooling family in New Orleans uh, that took a vacation uh, by driving out to Los Alamos. They wanted to see the uh, the uh, uh, the installations there, the atomic installations. And this young child, uh, I suppose, he was in his teens was very much interested in astronomy, and they happened to find the address of the professor who had discovered the planet Pluto. Mm -hmm. And they actually looked him up and visited him. And this youngster was so enthralled, and, and this professor greeted the family. He was so delighted he was in retirement. Mm -hmm. The world had forgotten him, yeah. but he was this family that came knocking at his door because that son wanted to meet the man who had discovered Pluto. That's the kind of thing that goes on in a homeschooling family that, you know, no, no public school or no private school can ever... Uh, uh, I guess there's a point, though, if they start in homeschools, I, I can see where all this would follow because your parents are your natural teachers anyway, and even parents who don't know that they're teaching are teaching because children, of course, follow the model. Yeah. But I would imagine there might be a problem if you take a child from public school where they've already become acquainted with a separate outside-the-family authority, a counter-authority to their parents, and then bring them in and start homeschooling. What about that? Well, you know, I've talked to parents who've, had, who've done that. They've taken children out of public schools, and they've, put them, uh, and they've homeschooled them. And I remember uh, one youngster who... Uh, uh, who had many friends in the school, and uh, his parent was afraid that he might miss uh, the peer action, the peer interchange. But he enjoyed homeschooling a great deal. Uh, that year went very well, at, and at the end of the year, they happened to be driving by the school, and uh, his mother asked him, uh, uh, do you miss any of your friends there? And uh, he replied, yes, I do. And then she asked him, uh, would you like to return to the public school? And he said, his reply was, well, I don't miss them that much. <laughs> <laughs> In other words, sure, he misses them, but he, he prefers homeschooling. I've known very few children who, once they've had a taste of homeschooling, were prepared to return to the public school. Well, if you recall, I, I don't know about your experience, but in the period, there was a period of about a year, a little more than a year, I went to a public school in New York City, 
And I think I told you earlier there were fellows that had mustaches who were playing handball <laughs> in the uh, courtyard. And I used to feel nervous going past those fellows because you remember that was when they held you back if you didn't finish the pass the exam. And there were, uh, it was a mixed bag to go to a new school. I had that problem too. Uh, because some of your uh, classmates were pleasant and friendly and some were decidedly not. Mm-hmm. And I think there's been too much emphasis in American educational circles, at least the ones I've read, about having the child become used to all kinds of different people. Oh, yes. We grow up in a society which is so polyglot that there's no way of escaping anybody. Yes. As soon as we uh, leave the home, we're, we're in a diverse society. So why should we push children into these difficulties prematurely? I agree yeah. with you. And, and of course, that, that question is always asked, or that comment is made that, well, uh, you, don't, you want your child to know the real world, so put him in a public school where he will rub shoulders. It's with, more democratic. Yes, with real people, yes. as if the family is composed of fake people, you know. <laughs> Uh, the family is a very real world. As a matter of fact, it's a, it's a it's the microcosm of society, and it's the best place to uh, uh, to learn about the real world. As a matter of fact, you learn some pretty awful uh, you get some pretty awful distortions of the real world in a schoolroom. Yes, that's true. One of the common questions asked by parents is. If I do not have a good education myself, can I be a homeschooler? Can I teach my children? Well, uh, if, if there's a proper motivation, that parent can certainly learn, can go out and get the uh, materials. You see, today there are many satellite homeschooling uh, programs available. For example, Christian Liberty Academy in Arlington Heights, Illinois, uh, supplies the, cur- the complete curriculum. All the parent has to do is know how to read and be able to just simply uh, give it to the student, and, and the student takes care of everything. The child takes care of everything. As a matter of fact, the uh, the uh, the academy even marks the papers. Mm-hmm. You send them the pe- the papers, and the academy marks them and sends them back. So, for those parents who feel inadequate about teaching their own children, there are plenty of very good. Uh, uh, satellite programs available. Yes, uh, in such cases, your child, even though being homeschooled, is legally a student of an academy That's in right. another state. That's Do you right. want to give the address? You mentioned uh, Christian Liberty Academy and its satellite schools. Yes, and Christian Liberty Academy is one of the best in the country. Mm-hmm. They have a, quite a thorough and, and excellent uh, curriculum a very good Christian curriculum, and their address is Christian Liberty Academy, 502 West Euclid Avenue, Arlington Heights, Illinois, 60004. Let me repeat that. Uh, Christian Liberty Academy, 502 West Euclid Avenue, Arlington Heights, Illinois, Six zero 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 four. Now the academy puts out two excellent books. It puts out a legal manual uh, 
uh, for parents who want to know what the, their legal status is as homeschoolers, and also a national guide to homeschooling organizations uh, throughout the country so that they can join a, a homeschooling organization in their community and uh, get some, uh, uh, in other words, have some interaction with other homeschooling families. The notion that the homeschoolers are sort of isolated families that have no social contact with others is ridiculous because the, you find a tremendous amount of, of, of social interchange among homeschooling families in associations, local associations, and state associations. It is right now uh, a very rapidly growing movement, so much so that uh, it has professional statist educators concerned and afraid. They do not know how many there are in the homeschool movement. Uh, I've heard estimates on one occasion in Washington, D.C., when some lawyers were talking, that ranged from three to ten million. No one really knows. No, that's, I, I think ten million may be a little high, yes. uh, Rush, but you know, uh, there are many uh, underground homeschooling families oh, yeah. that have that have not surfaced and are doing it on their own without letting the school authorities know because in some states the uh, uh, the, the authorities have been pretty awful and pretty harassing and so these parents have kept a low profile we'll never really know the yes. the uh, so the legal uh, the legal situation is somewhat scrambled in some states are home schools uh, illegal well, and uh, yes, in many states uh, they are, or they're regulated. They're regulated. Yes, you see, the NEA has become, or the National Education Association has become very alarmed at the growth of the homeschooling movement because they see it as a threat to the entire education establishment. Uh, parents are withdrawing their children by the thousands and educating them at home, and they are leaving empty seats in the classroom. And of course, these children are escaping the socialization process that the NEA is so keen on making sure that every child goes through for obvious reasons. They want the children to be able to fit into this new world order uh, that is being prepared for America by our uh, wonderful friends in the United Nations and mm -hmm. the Soviet bloc. Uh, so they, they're very concerned, and the, NE, the NEA has, has uh, created its own set of guidelines. They've gone to every state legislature in America, and they are badgering those legislatures to, uh, uh, to uh, enact very highly regulatory uh, uh, statutes that would make you, you'd probably have to jump through ten hoops before you could uh, homeschool. So, uh, in, in effect, you'd wind up with their curriculum. Oh, yes, yes. Their, their long-range goal, actually, is to close down the church schools, to regulate, the, first to regulate, then to control the church schools, first to regulate, and then to outlaw homeschooling. I'm sure that they don't want to, that their, their long-range goal is to outlaw homeschooling. Some years ago, I met with a group of Catholic mothers who had pulled their children out of a parochial school they felt, with good reason, was becoming both radical and anti-Catholic. And they did something uh, quite unusual. Uh, the 
mothers split up the grades. One said, I'll take all the children in our group who are kindergartners and teach them around my dining room table. Another said, I'll take the first graders and so on right up uh, through the eighth grade. Um, now, here's an alternate possibility to that, and I'm throwing this out for your opinion. Supposing uh, some neighbors have uh, home schools, each of them, should they uh, interact, one saying, well, I'm no good at math, will you take over math? And the other saying, all right, I enjoy literature, I would like to take over that area, mm. and you can send your child to me right. for that. Wouldn't that be setting up a, a school? Well, so what? I mean, I'm, I'm for educational freedom. If this is what these parents want to do, why not? I mean, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't education uh, be as free as breathing? I mean, you know, how do you teach if somebody has a talent to teach a particular subject? Somebody is a whiz at algebra and can really make algebra and geometry interesting to the youngsters, why not? I mean, that's that's the whole benefit of well, it. Well, why not? Because you're running head-on into the bureaucracy. Well, it depends on the state. Yeah. In oh, some states, on the state. that would uh, make your, it easier than uh, simply calling it a homeschool. Mm -hmm. In other states, you'd run into trouble. Mm -hmm. So it will vary from state to state. Mm -hmm. Rush, let me ask you. Do parents have an unalienable right to educate their children without interference from the state? How would you I believe that theologically we have to say it is the God-given uh, privilege and duty of parents to educate their own children. It is not primarily the responsibility of the state nor of the church. It is essentially and primarily the responsibility of the family. Well, originally, constitutionally, in the United States, education was a local matter and the state matter, mm -hmm. and the federal government was not supposed to be involved. The federal government got in via Lyndon Johnson's administration by money and then followed the money with their guidelines and so forth. So now we have what is apparently a federal educational system in terms of its being funded by yeah. Washington. But let, let me let me say this though. But you see, we've uh, George Washington and many of the founding fathers were homeschooled. Yes. We know that, and homeschooling was rather uh, widespread in the United States, particularly in the West, where you didn't have schools during the settlement period. And in fact, homeschooling was was perfectly legal and all right until you had the first compulsory school attendance laws mm -hmm. passed. Now, the first such law was passed in Massachusetts in the 1850s, which means that every parent up to that point in the United States of America had the right to educate his or her child at home without interference from the state. Now, do you lose that kind of a right simply because the state then uh, passes a law requiring compulsory school attendance. If it's an unalienable right, can you lose an unalienable? You can lose any right that you do not defend. It is up to the citizenry to defend its rights, just as it's up to an individual to uh, defend his rights. You can uh, lose your rights by surrendering them, and you can regain your rights by demanding them.
the uh, you know the whole question of education is misunderstood here. It's it's always discussed in the American society in terms of schooling. Now, as Rush indicated, I have virtually no schooling, and I'm a very well educated man. Formal schooling. For formal schooling. Yeah. State controlled yeah. state well, government. I didn't yeah. didn't I couldn't stand government schools. <laughs> How long did you play hooky one year when you were? I had the New York record for the time being. I had <laughs> seven months. <laughs> Without being detected, I was finally uh, unmasked, of course, and uh, all sorts of terrible things went on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was put in the home for delinquent youngsters. Uh, briefly, <laughs> I was put in the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, and then, of course, they examined my home and they said anyone who would play hooky from such a wonderful home was just a bad boy. And they gave me psychiatric and personality tests at Mount Sinai Hospital. Now, I was 12 and a half. Incredible. And then a, the psychi psychologist recommended I go to college because I passed the college exams and all but math. And the probation officer recommended I be sent to a reform school. And Justice Levy saved me from all that. He took me to chambers and asked me what I wanted. I said I wanted to get out of New York and go to my grandparents' area upstate. And he therefore made a rule that I was not to be permitted in the New York public school system until I was 18. <laughs> so by that ruling, yeah. he, he uh, released me from that terrible system. Yeah. Well, then you're an individual who actually experienced the tyranny of the compulsory school attendance. Absolutely. Laws. I mean, you were treated like a criminal. I was. The probation officer regarded me as a criminal. You see. And, and that, that's what is so horrible about those laws because... They did turn children into into criminals. Well, uh, I, I think that's true. And uh, persecuted parents, and still do in many cases. It's a good thing you ran across so enlightened a judge, Otto. Well, I corresponded with him for several years. He was a wonderful man. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. But but at the point today is that they are now using uh, these laws against the parents. Yes, they're putting them in prison. Yes. Otto, when you were sent upstate to your grandparents, did your troubles with the uh, public school cease? No, no, no. <laughs> and I remember a beautiful spring day I decided to go fishing instead of going to school, and I had a pole and all the rest of the equipment, and I was walking. When the truant officer drove up in the Ford, I recall the car. He was everything. He was the constable, the dog catcher, the truant officer, and whatnot. <laughs> and he pulled up, and he said, Otto, where are you going? And I said, uh, I'm going fishing. He said, aren't you supposed to be in school? I said, I'm sick. <laughs> and he said get in the car so I got in the car thinking well this is more trouble and he drove to his house and he came out with a fishing pole and said now where were you going to go <laughs> that was a good tour office and we went fishing together yeah. uh, that's the kind that we like not the kind that the NEA sends out <laughs> Oh my, but but you know that's the uh, you can see that there are thousands of youngsters 
who don't want to go to school, who can probably learn better out of school. I was getting four and five books a day out of the public library. Uh -huh. I read omnivorously, and the school was distracting me. It was taking me away from the subjects that I was sure. interested in. Yes, yes. And of course now these laws are being perverted and used against the parents. They've been turned yes. against homeschooling parents who are educating their children. You see, the purpose, the original purpose of these compulsory school attendance laws was to make sure that every child got an education. Sounded wonderful, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, didn't it at the time. Parents did not believe at the time that these laws were, were depriving them of their unalienable right to educate their children at home without interference from the state. But as the state has grown larger and more powerful, it has become now the uh, the ruler, the master. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, the Declaration of Independence states that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights and among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then it goes on to say, that the purpose of government is to secure the unalienable rights of the citizens. And yet we have a government now that is doing just the opposite. Yes. It is depriving the citizens of their unalienable rights. It is uh, taking them away, not securing them. And therefore you have an illegal government that is doing this. Well, it's really a tyrannical government. Uh, but some questions do arise. We have now the working parents. And this poses a great difficulty for them, and many of them for reasons that I find inexplicable. They will buy new cars and whatnot with a double salary, but they will not spend the money to send a kid to a private school or a church school. Maybe they don't have a church. Do you have any suggestions for them? Could they use an aunt? Could they use a... That's a very good idea. Could, could they use, could a, they use, could they use sure. a, a family friend? Why not? If we have full educational freedom, why not? The parents can delegate uh, a tutor or a teacher. Well, they could get their own tutor. Because, uh, as a matter of fact, the public schools have always felt that they were in loco parentis. Mm -hmm. So anyone can take the That's place a of great the parents right? yes. in logo parentis. They are standing in place of the parents. Yes, but that no longer holds today. The, now the schools believe that they own the children. Yes. The state now owns the children. That was the argument of the revolutionists of France in 1791 and 92. Yes. Yes. The state owns the child. Yes, and that's what the American educational establishment uh, feels. They feel that they own the children and that the parents of depriving them of the children. A common question that uh, interested people raise is this. If you decide to put your child in a home school, your uh, own home, and educate your child yourself, what is the best way to pull my child, they ask, out of a public school? Well, I don't know what is the best way, just remove that child, you know, just, uh, uh, of course, I suppose the best thing is to do it at the end of the term, you know, and simply uh, not re-enroll, not re-enroll, and, and if, if you're asked questions, to be prepared and to 
get your legal manual from the Christian Liberty Academy or from, from some other source, such as I believe the Rutherford Institute has some materials on homeschooling that would be of interest. But in other words, you simply have to take the plunge. What I would do, what I would do if I were that parent is first get in touch with a homeschooling association and speak to other homeschooling parents. Find out what they have done, what is the best way to go about it. Because experience is the, is the best teacher in this, in this uh, instance. And I would rely on the experiences of other homeschoolers. Another question that is very commonplace is, after I have homeschooled my child, how does my child get into college? Very simply, that child takes an entrance exam or an SAT test, and it's on the basis of that test that the child is admitted to a, a university or a college. In fact, I'm pretty sure now that when colleges see on the record that this youngster is homeschooled, they realize that they've got somebody very special on their hands, somebody who can read and write, you know, and who doesn't need, rem doesn't need remediation. And uh, as a matter of fact, there was a youngster from California who was homeschooled all his life and entered Harvard University, I believe it was about two years ago. And yes. He made the headlines because of that. They could enter earlier. Yes, many of them can even enter earlier than the age of uh, because, 18. Because you know that most of the high school is uh, repetitive. Yes. So all they have to do is take the tests. That's all, that, that's all that's needed. And, and there are colleges all over the country. I mean, if one college doesn't take you, another will. That's no big problem. I've, I, haven't, I haven't found a homeschooling family that has had any problem getting their children into a decent college or, or, or university. Well, the homeschool movement uh, is growing so rapidly that now in states where the homeschoolers met in a living room a few years ago, they now use the civic auditorium when they have a meeting. A convention. What about source material? There are manuals that uh, tell you where you can get materials. Oh yes. And this is an area that is growing so rapidly that uh, I've given up trying to keep up with what's being produced. Yes. Because it is a rapidly growing area everybody is producing materials yes. and uh, the quality is improving uh, constantly uh, the achievement of the uh, students improves correspondingly quite dramatic yes another thing that's interesting is that at these homeschooling conventions you will have exhibits publishers are now uh, showing their wares uh, all kinds of books are available. Even the major publishers are now beginning to mm -hmm. uh, exhibit at these homeschooling conventions. It would be interesting to see if they're exhibiting the same materials. Well, some of them are, as a matter of fact. Now we have a whole new consumer, the parent, mm -hmm. who is, you know, looking over these materials mm -hmm. and wants advice on which particular book to, uh, to buy. Uh, and I've been asked that at, at various seminars. They will come up to me and ask, well, is this reading program better than that reading program? And of course, uh, uh, what you really need is a consumer guide 
There are now homeschooling magazines. There's the uh, Home Teacher mm -hmm. that's put out in, yeah. uh, out of Oregon. There, there are several of them now available on the market. And I, I predict that's, that this is a great place for an entrepreneur to get involved because uh, I believe that the homeschooling market is going to be growing very rapidly. And anyone who wants to create a good home, who can create a good homeschooling magazine, a good professional magazine, is going to make a lot of money, because you've got a lot of parents out there who are uh, who want to know what's available, who want who are interested in the products for homeschooling, and uh, will appreciate a magazine of this kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems sounds to me as though this is where the future leadership of the United States is going to come. Well, that's where the past leadership came. Where did our founding fathers come from? You know, they came from the homes. And I've told homeschooling conventions, I've told them, I said, the George Washingtons of tomorrow are going to come out of your home schools, not the public schools. Because, you know, George Washington read. <laughs> well, you know, the public schools teach conformity. Yes. To the group. Yeah. Uh, group conformity. They also uh, they are involved in group dynamics, peer pressure, socialization. That's the whole thrust of public education today: is to destroy the individual's ability to be an individual uh, with individual yeah. intelligence. Well, of course, you've got to recognize the dire social consequences if our Christian schools and homeschools grow. It will soon depopulate our prisons. We have no alumni from our Christian schools and home schools in the prisons. <laughs> Think of all the people who will be unemployed. Yes. Yes, that is a problem because, you know, they say that 85% of the people in the prisons are functionally illiterate. Yes. And, and I, w I would imagine that some of them uh, went into crime because they had no employable skills. They couldn't well, be right. right. That was the basis for belief those murder for profit. Yes. Is the first book on mass murderers, which are now very common, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, but in his day, the late 20s, were very uncommon. And in every instance, they were men who didn't know how to earn an honest living in any sort of uh, fashion commensurate with their desires. Mm -hmm. So therefore, uh, by accident, in most cases, they found out that murder was a way of earning a living. Yeah. It became serial murders, as we call them today. And as the rise of <clears throat> functional illiteracy expands, as you know, we have more and more of these desperate activities. And that's particularly true among the blacks in America. They've been so so devastated by public education that now the the uh, the chief cause of of death among young blacks is now homicide. They're now killing one another and they're on drugs and all sorts of things. Another important development of the homeschooling movement, though, is the, the politicizing of the parents. You see, the parents have become aware that this is a political issue and that their rights are threatened by legislatures and lawmakers and teachers associations. Mm -hmm. And so now they're organizing lobbies because they realize that, uh, as you said, if they don't exercise their rights, then they lose them by they default. Lose them, right, and that the only way that they can uh, make sure that they can exercise these rights is to reassert them. And that's what they're uh, they're they're doing now. They're organizing for legal battle. 
No, I no, can't state. I can't forget that Hitler gave several of his most uh, crucial speeches to vast audiences of school teachers. Oh yes. yes. He outlawed the private schools, you know. As a matter of fact, the first thing the communists do when they take over is outlaw private schools and of course homeschooling because they take control of the children. The socialization of children is a statist idea. In other words, children are to serve the state mm -hmm. and uh, it's... it's, uh, it's well, all governments will only teach what governments want you to know. Yes. I was in one homeschool trial about a year and a half ago. The two sets of parents, very superior people with remarkable children who are well over five years ahead of public school children, which given the character of the public schools isn't that much, but they were uh, not tested in some areas which would have made their standing greater because those areas were not in the test. They were, their curriculum included far more. The very ugly fact about that trial, which the parents lost, was that the four children, uh, two aged seven and two aged nine, were more literate and spoke better English than the judge, who was a real yahoo. <laughs> yes, what a commentary. That's the sort of thing where we have to put up with. But you see, Russia, I believe that now we need a, a counter kind of a program to repeal the compulsory school attendance laws in this country. I think that, that the only solution to this problem, the only way that the parents can ensure their unalienable rights is to uh, form a national movement to repeal compulsory school attendance laws in all of the states. Yes. And I've suggested that to homeschooling parents, and they realize that that really is the only solution because once you permit the state to have any say in what you're doing at home, you're, you're ceding to the state a, a right that they never had, you see, and you're giving up your unalienable right. Mm -hmm. An unalienable right means total freedom. That's that true. Respect. And it's also true that children develop at different rates. Not every child is uh, benefited by being put in a preschool. Not every child is benefited by putting into a compulsory school at the age of six. Woodrow Wilson, for instance, uh, was taught by his father. Didn't learn to read until he was 12. And uh, nobody is going to say that Mr. Wilson didn't turn out to be extremely literate. He had an extended childhood. And I sometimes think that an extended childhood would be a great gift for the average child. We're pushing them into premature adulthood. Yeah. And well, we're taking away their childhood. Yeah. Formal schooling is a very, uh, is a very artificial kind of uh, setup because you're dealing with children in a kind of lockstep fashion. You're saying that, well, uh, they're, if they're three months younger than that particular age group, they've got to stay back, they can't fit in. Everything is done for the convenience of the educational establishment, not for the, uh, for the child at all. Now, the entire setup is made for the convenience of the establishment and the teachers. 
And so you get these these uh, uh, strange kinds of, of uh, formalities that really don't uh, do anything for education. Well, there's also the general feeling, I believe, in the United States or throughout the United States that the most important thing is to make friends and contacts. Uh, this is why people should go to college. I mean, uh, my grandfather said no one in our family goes to college to be a gentleman. That's an English idea. Well, now it's an American idea. And, and yet it has no relation to real life at all. No. Nothing to do with class at all. Yes, college is now a social event. Well, I mean, you know, it's all social. And, uh, and uh, those are the main benefits that youngsters uh, seem to want out of college these days with the youth culture. But I believe that homeschooling at least prepares the youngsters for college. You know? Well, at least they'll get there more adult than their peers. Yes. More uh, independent and more secure. They won't perhaps go through this experience of having all their values uh, trashed by the professor so that they go home at the end of the year a stranger to their own relatives. Yeah. That, of course, is the great problem that the public schools uh, uh, pose, is that the alienation of the children from the parents by, by instilling a, a, a set of values that are totally alien to that family. And many a family has been broken up, many a, a child has been led astray uh, by uh, being indoctrinated in false values, uh, alien values, uh, non-religious values, and that have not only destroyed the children's lives, but also the, the, the family. Uh, I, I believe that the homeschooling is also a very important part of our strategy to survive in the coming years ahead, uh, Rush, when we, we don't know what's, what's going to happen. We see, the, we see the, the, the communists gaining in strength. We see the United States you know, uh, entering a period of tremendous problems. And how are we going to survive if we don't have strong families that can sort of get through this, this period of, of uncertainty and turmoil? Uh, you know, I remember reading somewhere that one of the reasons why the New England or the American towns were able to survive the Revolutionary War was because each one was a little republic. Each yes. one had the Bible. Each one was ruled by law. And, and so you didn't have the anarchy that the British expected would take place in the colonies. Well, they, uh, as they moved west later on, they set up their own churches and their own schools. Somebody has recently researched the so-called wild, wild West, and they found no sex crimes whatever, relatively few burglaries, a few robberies, and uh, barroom shootings for a brief period. Then, as soon as the shopkeepers and their wives came in and the minister and so forth, they organized the town and they became quite uh, uh, conformable. Most of the so-called Wild West towns, Tombstone, Dodge City and all, were wild for about a year. After that, they were uh, church-oriented communities. That's right. The Bible provides the law, you see, for these communities. So they're no longer lawless communities. And the Bible provides the law for the family. And so families can survive on the basis of that in a period of turmoil and anarchy. And who knows what, what is ahead for us.
Well, in many respects, we're living in a world that resembles the first century the Christian era. Yes. We're surrounded by pagan forces that appear to be over overweening, uh, difficult to overcome. For the first time, I guess, in many generations, the people of the West are not looking forward to the future with hope or with happy expectations. Right. Well, you know, when the Roman Empire disintegrated, I mean, who were the ones who survived, who made it through that period? Well, the small integrated Christian communities that were able to you know, uh, get through that period of, of uh, what was it, lack of organization or destruction of a great empire, as, well, as you pointed out in, in, a, in a talk you gave out of. Well, the, the larger society crumbled in a sense. The central government collapsed, but the local infrastructure remained yes. in the form of yes. the states. And especially the local communities. That's where the strength was. The fact of Rome's collapse did not mean that the Dark Ages dawned. That was a myth invented by statists who felt that because there was no central power controlling a region and because in the political sense there was chaos, there had to be, in the social sense, a like chaos. So they created the myth of the Dark Ages. Originally, it extended from the fall of Rome to the Renaissance. Yeah. Then the they, ages of faith. Yes. Then they uh, began to limit it a bit until finally it disappeared altogether, although occasionally you find someone who still speaks of them, but it's a myth. And that was the period when the great cathedrals were built. These incredible, magnificent well, uh, tapestry of Europe became the richest, most variegated civilization the world had ever yeah. seen. It exceeded all the pagan wonders, and well, yet without a central government. Yes. In the early part of that era, the so-called heart of the Dark Ages, you had your first industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. A number of things were developed, as Lynn White has shown in his study of technology in the Middle Ages, that uh, revolutionized life. For example, the horse collar. Mm -hmm. The Romans could not transport much freight, because without a horse collar, the horse was pulling against his windpipe. Uh -huh. So the invention of the horse collar was a major step forward. Then the moldboard plow, later the windmill, and so on. One thing after another revolutionized life in Europe. Well, if you have a home school, and you have at a home school, I was just thinking about this, a great deal of what you learn as a child is family history. Mm -hmm the events through which the members of the family have lived in previous periods. And when you go to a school, you don't get history in any proper sense. As I understand it right now, they're teaching anti-history. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. The, they, the, the entire study of history has disintegrated into something called social studies, which is a, a, mis, a mishmash of 
anthropology, psychology, history, geography, and all kinds of things. It, it just doesn't make any sense. What do you think, Johnny? And poor Johnny is sitting there, <laughs> age 11, asked to give a comment on the Supreme Court opinion. He's also asked to become a, a, an Aristotle and a Plato, you know, and to create his own value system, uh, with, uh, you know, which is only done by the world's uh, leading philosophers. But every child now is expected to do what, a, what only a Plato and an Aristotle or a Maimonides can do. Well, to me, one of the most uh, exciting aspects of the homeschool movement is that these homeschool children are exceptionally good readers. Yes. They enjoy reading. They are continually reading armfuls of books, history, uh, literature, uh, anything they can get yes. their hands on with zeal. Now, uh, this gives us a counter trend to what the public schools uh, have done. They have limited the ability to read and the yeah. interest in reading so that it is actually affecting today the world of publishing. And suddenly now you're creating an audience. Right, a new audience of, of book readers. Yes, it, this is very uh, hopeful for the future. And also, there you find in homeschooling families they don't watch television as much as the average family does. You know, you don't have the everyone gathered around the boob tube uh, at night. And also, you don't have there are some homes in which the television set is always on, even if no one is watching mm -hmm. it. I know, that's, <laughs> that's fantastic. In my home, the television set, uh, my daughter's home, the television set was broken for eleven years. <laughs> on purpose, I imagine. <laughs> well, we have about uh, three and a half minutes left. Is there something you'd like to add, Otto, to what has been said? Well, I'd like to go back to the point I made in the beginning, that the absolutely most aristocratic, top-level education possible to obtain is tutorial. Yes. And if a family can create the best possible education for their children, I think they would be well advised to do it. Yes, yes and I want to encourage every parent who, who wants to educate his or her children to do so and to not be intimidated by the state and also to, um, to get all the advice and materials available out there. There's plenty of, of material available and to do it, to go ahead and do it and, and um, face up to what uh, we may have to uh, deal with because uh, restoring individual rights, unalienable rights, uh, entails some risks these days. You see, the state is very jealous of the rights that they've removed and getting them back may mean uh, even going to jail. Some parents have gone to jail, but it's better to go to, uh, to spend a, a month or two in a county jail than uh, ten years in the gulag. Well, there's lots of legal help coming available yes. too, isn't and there? There is a lot of legal help, so there's uh, there's no reason why parents would have to. They go won't to be alone. Yeah, and they won't be alone. Well, we are seeing in the Christian schools and the home schools the development of a generation that will have a capacity for leadership that does not exist in the state schools. The state schools create a mob. Children with a mob mentality who respond to peer pressure. Our Christian 
schools and home schools are creating people who have a strength of character and an ability to stand alone. This gives us a great deal of hope for the future. Well, thank you very much for your part and authorized by the Calcedon Foundation, archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library, digitized by Christ Rules dot com.